Section 55 of Narratives of Colored Americans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jacqueline Burrell Walton. Narratives of Colored Americans by Abigail Mott and M.S. Wood. Uncle Harry. From the Literary and Evangelical Magazine, 1824. Late in the last autumn, it was my privilege, says the author, to spend a few hours in the hospitable mansion of the Reverend S.B.W. of F. I arrived at his house very early in the morning, just before the family assembled to perform their customary devotions. On the signal being given, the children and domestics came into the room where we were sitting. Among the latter, there was a very aged colored man, whom everyone called Uncle Harry. As soon as he entered, I observed that Mr. W. and his lady treated him with marked attention and kindness. The morning was sharp and frosty, and Uncle Harry had a chair in the corner close to the fire. The portion of scripture selected for the service was the second chapter of Luke. I observed that the attention of Harry was deeply fixed, and he soon began to manifest strong emotions. The old man's eye kindled as the reader went on, and when he came to the tenth verse, Harry appeared as though his heart was tuned to the angelic song, and he could hardly help uttering a shout of triumph. There was not, however, the smallest ostentation of feeling or endeavor to attract attention. He only, in a gentle manner, turned his face upward, strongly clasping his hands as they lay on his lap, and expressing by his countenance the joy of his heart. By this time he had interested me so highly that I could not keep my eyes from him. I watched the varying expressions of his countenance and saw that every word seemed to strike on his heart and produce a corresponding emotion. I thought I would give the world if I could read the Bible just as Harry heard it. While I was thinking and looking on with intense interest, the reader came to the passage where old Simeon saw the infant Savior, took him in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Harry's emotion had become stronger and stronger until the words just quoted were read when he was completely overpowered. Suddenly, turning on his seat to hide as much as possible his feelings, he bent forward and burst into a flood of tears. But they were tears of joy. He anticipated his speedy, peaceful departure and his final rest. This state of feeling continued during the remainder of the service. And when we rose from our knees... Uncle Harry's face seemed literally to have been bathed in tears. As soon as we had risen, the old man came toward me 
with a countenance beaming with joy. This, said Mr. W., addressing me, is Uncle Harry. He reached out his hand and said, Oh, why did my God bring me here today to hear what I have heard and see this salvation? I asked, Are you ready to depart, Uncle Harry, as good old Simeon was, of whom we read in this chapter? I shall never forget his look of humble, joyful submission when he replied, Just when it shall please my blessed Lord and Master. You hope to go to heaven? Through divine mercy, I do. What is the foundation of that hope? The righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On perceiving that, I wish to converse with the old man. Mr. W. said, with a kindness which showed that he recognized Harry as a Christian brother and respected his age. Come, take your seat again, Uncle Harry, and sit up near the fire. He accepted the invitation, and I entered into conversation, which afforded me higher pleasure than I ever enjoyed in the circles of fashion, beauty, wit, and learning. I here send you some of the most interesting particulars. How old are you, Uncle Harry? Well, now as I can tell, I am 89 or thereabout. Where were you born? At Port Tobacco in Maryland. And who had you to preach the gospel to you there? Ah, we had no preacher of the gospel there at that time. Then it was after you left Port Tobacco that you embraced religion, was it? No, sir. It was while I lived there, and I will tell you how it was. A great many years ago, there was one Dr. Whitefield that traveled all through this country, preaching the gospel everywhere. I dare say you have heard of Dr. Whitefield. He was a most powerful preacher. Well, as I was saying, he went through Maryland, but his place of preaching was so far off that I did not hear of it until he was gone. But not long afterwards, I met a man, an acquaintance of mine, who did hear him. He told me about the sermon, and what I heard opened my eyes to see that I was a poor, lost sinner. And ever since that time, I have been determined to seek Jesus as my Savior and to spend my life in his service. Happy Whitefield, thought I, and greatly honored of thy master, who has used thee as his instrument in saving so many souls. But, said I, how old were you then? Why, as nigh as I can guess, I was somewhere between 16 or 17 years old. And have you never repented of this resolution? No, indeed, Master, I have never repented of anything, but that I have served my blessed Savior so poorly. But have you not met many trials and difficulties by the way? Yes, indeed, Master, but out of them all the Lord has delivered me, and having obtained help of God, I continue to this day. Blessed be his name. He never will leave me or forsake me. I have good hope of that. Well, how did you obtain religious instruction where you lived? As you say, there was no preacher of the gospel in the neighborhood. Why, by the mercy of my God, I learned to read the Bible, and that showed me the way to Jesus. But now I think of it, when the Roman Catholics heard that I was concerned about my soul, 
They sent for me and tried hard to get me to join them. There was a priest at Port Tobacco whose name was Mr. O'Neill. He talked to me a great deal. I remember he said to me one day, Harry, now you are concerned about your soul. You must come and join the Catholic Church. What for? said I. Mr. O'Neill, because, said he, it is the true church. Then, said I, if the Catholic Church will lead me to Jesus, I will join it with all my heart, for that is all I want. And Mr. O'Neill said, if you would join the church, I will warrant that you shall go to heaven. How can you do that, Mr. O'Neill, said I. Then he told me that a great many years ago, our Savior came into the world, and he chose 12 disciples and made St. Peter their head, and the Pope succeeded St. Peter. And so all that joined the Pope belonged to the true church. Then, said I, why, how do you know that, Mr. O'Neill? Because, said he, our Savior told Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I said, the Lord knows how it is, Mr. O'Neill. I am a poor, ignorant creature, but it always did seem to me that Peter was nothing but a man, like the other apostles. But Mr. O'Neill said, no, he was the head and chief of the apostles. For our Savior said again, thou art Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I asked him, now, do you think Peter was that rock, Mr. O'Neill? He answered, to be sure he was. And I said again, the Lord knows how it is, but it never did seem so to me. Now, I think it was just so when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our Savior told him, Thou art Peter. While the old man repeated the words, Thou art Peter, he pointed his finger at me and looked me directly in the face. But as soon as he began the following part of the quotation, he brought his hand briskly down to his knee, saying with emphasis as he looked at himself, And upon this rock will I build my church. And that rock was Christ, for it is written in another place. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded, and that cornerstone is Christ. Then Mr. O'Neill said to me, Why, Harry, where did you learn that? I said, From my Bible. Oh, said he, you have no business with the Bible. It will confuse and frustrate you. But I said, It tells me of my Savior. Then a gentleman who was sitting by said, Oh, you might as well let him alone, Mr. O'Neill. You cannot make anything of him. And from that time, I never had any desire to join the Roman Catholics. The narrative of the truth of which I could not entertain a moment's doubt showed a promptness of reply and an acquaintance with the scriptures which truly surprised me. And I remarked, I suppose, Uncle Harry, you take great pleasure in reading the Bible? Ah, Master, when I could read, it was the pleasure of my life. But I am old now, 
and my book is so rubbed that the print is dim, and I can scarcely make out to read a word. On this, Mr. W. said, Well, Uncle Harry, you shall have a new Bible. Do you call on Mr. when you go downtown, and he will give you a new one from the Bible Society. Harry bowed and expressed gratitude for the kindness, but did not manifest as much pleasure as I expected, considering how highly he professed to value the Bible. While I was wondering, and rather sorrowing on the account, I observed the old man to be feeling with an air of embarrassment in his pocket. At length, he pulled out an old tattered case, which appeared to have been long in use, and observed, This new Bible would not be of much use to me, because my spectacles are so bad that they help me very little in reading. With that, he opened his case and showed a pair of spectacles of the cheapest sort, of which one glass was broken and the other so scratched that it was wonderful that he could see through it at all. Mr. W. no sooner observed this than he said, Well, Uncle Harry, you must have a new pair. Do call at Mr.'s store and tell him to let you have a pair suited to your age, and I will settle with him about it. On hearing this, Harry's eyes gleamed with joy, and he exclaimed, Thank God! God bless you, Master! Now I shall have comfort again in reading the Bible. And I never saw a happier or more grateful countenance. Presently, he said the wagon would soon call for him to take him home, and he must go downtown and be getting ready on which he again thanked his friend and invoked a blessing on him and his family. He then affectionately and respectfully took me by the hand and said, I never saw you before, and I never shall see you again in this world, but I love you as a minister of my blessed Lord and Master, and I hope that I shall meet you in the house above. Remember and pray for poor old Harry. I squeezed his hand and assured him of my affectionate remembrance and requested that he would pray for me and for the preachers of the gospel generally. Oh, said he, may God Almighty bless all the dear ministers of Christ and enable them to call many poor sinners to the dear Savior. Oh, I do love to hear of souls coming to Christ, and it is my daily prayer Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. With that, the old man took leave. I confess that I have often since wished to see him and hold communion with him. There was about him a spirit of piety and benevolence, of humble zeal and fervent hope, of meekness and submission, which I have rarely seen equal. At the same time, there was a degree of intelligence and extent of religious knowledge, which in his condition really surprised and delighted me. I saw here one of the triumphs of divine grace. I was made to appreciate the value and the excellence of that religion, which could take a poor slave and so transform him. 
that he was well nigh fitted to be a companion of saints in light and of just men made perfect. And since I saw him, I have often prayed that after the days of my wandering shall be over and all the sufferings of my life shall be endured, may obtain a share in the rest and a lot in the inheritance, which I have no doubt are prepared for Uncle Harry. End of section 55